from Jeremiah chapter 32, the first uh, three verses and then verse 6 through 15. Uh, it's an interesting little piece of this larger story of Jeremiah and, and the time in which he was a prophet. But it really does speak to the wonderful truth that uh, God is the God of tomorrow. Would you stand with me as we hear these words of Scripture? The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the tenth year of King Zedekiah of Judah, which was the eighteenth year of Nebuchadnezzar. At that time, the army of the king of Babylon was besieging Jerusalem, and the prophet Jeremiah was confined in the court of the guard that was in the palace of the king of Judah, where King Zedekiah of Judah had confined him. And Jeremiah said, The word of the Lord came to me. Hanamel, son of your uncle Shalom, is going to come to you and say, Buy my field that is at Anathoth, for the right of redemption by purchase is yours. Then my cousin Hanamel came to me in the court of the guard in accordance with the word of the Lord and said to me, Buy my field that is in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin, for the right of possession and redemption is yours. Buy it for yourself. Then I knew that this was the word of the Lord. And I bought the field at Anathoth from my cousin Hanamel and weighed out the money to him, 17 shekels of silver. I signed the deed, sealed it, got witnesses, and weighed the money on scales. Then I took the sealed deed of purchase containing the terms and conditions and the open copy and I gave the deed of purchase to Barak, son of Neriah, son of Mahasiah, in the presence of my cousin Hanamel, in the presence of the witnesses who signed the deed of purchase, and in the presence of all the Judeans who were sitting in the court of the guard. In their presence I charged Barak, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Take these deeds, both this sealed deed of purchase and this open deed, and put them in an earthenware jar in order that they may last for a long time. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, houses and fields and vineyards shall again be bought in this land. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Other than just being a test for how well the reader can read those strange names, this text really does have something to say to us about the way we live our lives, not in the best of times, but particularly in the worst of times. Because it's in the worst of times that we find it hard to trust, find it hard to find hope. Tomorrow. Sometimes we look forward to tomorrow with great anticipation. Something great is going to happen tomorrow. Sometimes when we think of tomorrow, we're filled with dread because something difficult or challenging or heartbreaking is going to happen tomorrow. Then there are times we all are aware that we can be so overwhelmed with the chaos of the moment of today 
that we can't give a minute's thought to tomorrow. There's just no space in our mind and in our heart to think about tomorrow. One of the joys of childhood uh, growing up is the anticipation of tomorrow, isn't it? When I was a kid, I loved looking forward to things. And so my father, who was a very organized and methodical and serious type of person, would always tell us, okay, in a week, this is going to happen. Well, that was perfect for me because I would look with anticipation to that next big thing. Some of my favorites were uh, going to the state fair, um, around the 4th of July, going and buying fireworks. Anything that had to do with my mother, her birthday or Mother's Day or Christmas, my father would get us kids together and give us all a certain amount of money and take us shopping so we could buy something for my mother. Those were the most, my favorite things to look forward to. And so my father would say, okay, in a week, we're going to go do this. And so the next morning I would wake up and the first thing I'd do is go find my dad and say, is it today? And he'd go, no, I said it was a week. It's six more days. The next morning I'd wake up and I couldn't wait to find my dad. Is it today? No, it's five more days. Is it today? Four, I would do that every day until finally he would say, oh, Barry, it's tomorrow. Just leave me alone. It's tomorrow. And I have to admit, even as I got older and I knew about the days and when it was, I still did that to my dad just because it was so fun to annoy him and see that look on his face. Why did I tell this kid we were doing anything, right? That anticipation for tomorrow. I love those memories of what it felt like to look forward. The saddest thing that can happen to us as human beings is to lose that sense of excitement, that sense of hope, that sense of trust in tomorrow. It takes the joy out of our living when we don't have some hope for tomorrow. One of the people who embodied that change from despair uh, to hope for tomorrow uh, better than most anyone I've ever read is a person's story who you're familiar with, the story of Helen Keller, who lost her sight and her hearing when she was 19 months old, uh, felt isolated from the world. A young teacher named Ann Sullivan came to her house taught her to communicate by spelling words into her hands. We know this story well because of the book and the play and the movie uh, about the miracle worker. Um, Helen Keller would say the day that Anne arrived in her life was the birthday of my soul. Isn't that a powerful phrase? Powerful phrase. Their relationship, they would be together for 49 years and over those 49 years Helen Keller became an author and a worker for uh, human rights and a well-known worldwide celebrity. She described her life before Anne brought this gift to her in this way. Once I knew only darkness and stillness. My life was without past 
or future. But a little word from the fingers of another fell into my hand that clutched at emptiness, and my heart leaped to the rapture of living. Aren't those powerful words, beautiful words? When she describes her life with no hope for tomorrow, as being only darkness and stillness, life without past or future, she captures perfectly the way the people of Judea and Jerusalem felt in the day of Jeremiah. It was the worst of times. Not the best of times and the worst of times. It was the worst of times, period. They had been conquered by the Babylonians. Jerusalem was now under siege, surrounded by the enemy, who was more than happy to wait it out, to wait until the people within the walls of the city died of hunger or disease, to relish that the great city and, in their minds, the great God of that city would die a brutal, ignoble death. It was during this time that Jeremiah was called to be a prophet. Um, he's in prison because he spoke the word of truth to the king about his, the king's life and about what was going to happen to the land. And the king did not approve of it, so he threw him into prison. Jeremiah did not have a good run as a prophet. It is not a good gig to be the prophet during hard times. The people in power hate you because you speak the truth to power. The people hate you because you say that they have some responsibility in the direction of their own uh, lives and their own situation. So in the midst of the worst times, Jeremiah is the prophet. And to make it worse, if anything could be worse, God keeps asking him to do these weird things in public. So they serve as an uh, object lesson for the people. In chapter 13, God tells Jeremiah, go buy a loincloth and wear it for one day and then go hide it down by the river and leave it. And so he does. And then God says, go find it. And he turns over the rocks till he finds it, and it's all ruined. And he says, and God says, just like this cloth is ruined, I will ruin the pride of these unfaithful people. And then chapter 19, God says, Jeremiah, go to the potter's house. Take all the leaders you can find with you. Buy a big earthenware jar, and then bust it into a million pieces and say, God says, I will break the city of Jerusalem just like this earthenware jar. You imagine how popular Jeremiah is, can't you? Yeah. What a nightmare job he has being a prophet in this time. And now all these weird prophecies have come true. The people's pride is broken. Jerusalem is under siege. And God speaks one more time to Jeremiah in this story and says, I want you to buy something else. 
I want you to buy a field. Your cousin's going to come and offer you the right of redemption for this. Way back in the book of Leviticus, the law allowed that a person, kin, always had the right to buy property so that the property would always end up staying in the family who had inherited the land originally. It was a a law that was all about what? Tomorrow. It was all about tomorrow. Keeping the family line, keeping the promise together. And so sure enough, cousin comes to visit him in prison and says, by the way, I've got this field, why don't you buy it? And so Jeremiah does. And he pays full price. And he has a lot of witnesses. And he signs the deed and he turns the deed, both the closed one and the open one, so everyone can read. He turns those over to someone and says, put these in long-term storage because I'm going to need it again one day. As crazy as that sounds, why in the world, a city under siege while I'm in prison, why would I buy a field? Well, the last verse we read of the text tells us, because houses and fields and vineyards will once again be sold in this land. In other words, Jeremiah was to buy this field as an act of faith that their God was still the God of tomorrow. Life would go on. Now I can assure you there was no one living in the besieged city of Jerusalem who could comprehend for one minute that life could go on. There was no one living in the city of Jerusalem that could think anything about planning for the future. Everyone living within those walls had come to the conclusion that their story was over. This was the end of the line. There was no tomorrow For the people in that situation, in that moment, why think about tomorrow? Why plan for tomorrow? Why trust in tomorrow? Why hope for tomorrow when it's the end of the line? We can find ourselves in places like that in our own stories and in our own journey. Places where it feels our stories at an end. And it's not the end we envisioned or the end that we planned. Struggles with our health. Struggles with finances. Legal problems. Heartbreaking situations in the relationships that mean the most to us. Those dark moments in our journey where our faith seems to waver and God seems to be silent. Those times when we're young and growing up and we wonder if we're ever going to fit in and we're ever going to belong and we're ever going to be whoever it is we're supposed to be. 
when we worry about our kids and what's going on in their life or our grandkids' life. Or as we get older, we worry about our older parents and caring for them and loving them the way we want to. We know what those moments are like, don't we? Those moments where it could be so easy to not be able to have hope and trust in the future. It's in these moments that we are called to act in faith. Like Jeremiah buying a field because someday, I love it that he didn't say, just hold this for me for a few days. He says, put this in storage for a long, long time. But one of these days, I'm going to be out on the other side of this. I'm going to have a tomorrow. And God calls for us to act in faith, to keep trusting, to keep believing, to keep loving even in those times when it's hard to believe in tomorrow. We're supposed to be all in, to buy a field. President John F. Kennedy uh, put it this way, when we're in those kinds of moments, we're not called to curse the darkness, but to light the candle that can guide us through that darkness to a safe and sane future. That's what Jeremiah was doing. He was lighting a candle in the darkness of their day. Our God is a God of tomorrow. And just as in Jeremiah's life, even though the circumstances don't look like it, and even though the things we keep doing in faith seem ridiculous, like buying a loincloth or buying a jar and busting it, or buying a field that we don't know we're ever going to see, God is at work in our life and in our circumstances and making meaning and creating a future for us. Next week we begin a, a, a month with the, uh, the theme of investing well. Investing our lives, investing our money, investing in the future, investing in other people. Investing is all about believing in tomorrow, isn't it? That's why we do it. We believe tomorrow will be. We believe that there will be opportunities. We believe that we have a life to live tomorrow. Why do we believe that? We believe that because of who we believe God is. That God really is the God of I hope you're familiar with the story of uh, Corey Ten Boom. Uh, wrote a very famous book called The Hiding Place. She grew up in a family of watchmakers in uh, Amsterdam, good, devout Christian folks who cared for the vulnerable and worked with the disabled, did everything they could to live out their faith. The rise of Hitler came, and the Nazis began uh, persecuting and murdering the Jews, and they began hiding them in their home. And they saved countless lives and inspired the resistance to come into to being to save untold number of lives. But they were caught, and they were arrested, and Corey Tim Boone ended up in prison, and then for a while, after a while, 
she was sent to a concentration camp, to a labor camp, run by the embodiment of all that is evil in the world. Can you think of a time that could be harder, a time that was bleaker, a time that would be more hopeless than that? And yet she wrote these words. Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. We may not be able to see what tomorrow will be. We, not, we may not be able to make happen what we want so desperately to happen. Our story might take a turn we never planned on. The future is always unknown to us to a degree. Tomorrow is always a variable in the equation. But the constant is our God is the God of that tomorrow. So we can find hope. We can find that trust. And we can act in faith. May it be so. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.